17 minutes it is after 7 p.m. We start off in the markets uh, on this uh, Wednesday. Joining me to take a look at uh, the latest in the stories of business is founder and chief investment officer at Makwe Fund Managers, and that is Makwe Masilela. Makwe, what's it, Jay Brewer? Javiet, Makwe, Alice Dolly, Alice Witi. Makwe, I want us to start off uh, with the Tiger brand tonight. Now, um, and uh, we'll come back, I guess, because there's a co- always a connection, certainly, with uh, Tiger Brands and what we see in the food price inflation and even on the end, uh, producer cost inflation associated with all manner of things. But let's maybe just start off with all with their segments there. Um, and, uh, you know, th- they would divide their operations, I guess, into many, uh, many, many different segments. Uh, but when you look at those, there would be the bakeries, you know, there would be the rice uh, business, there would be uh, some of the other ones, babies, beverages, groceries. When you look at all the divisions, I mean, what do you make of this performance? Uh, and uh, also 1% volume growth and price inflation coming in at around 2%. Yeah, you know, if you just take out your bakeries, your snack and treat, and also the rice, you know, you will see that uh, uh, the balance of the portfolio delivered revenue growth of 3%, and yes, more 1% was because of that volume growth and the price inflation accounting for 2%. But the group revenue from continuing operation for the quarter, because it's a quarterly result, was down 1% and driven primarily by the issues of bakeries because of the competition when it comes to pricing, the rising cost, and that illegal work stoppage, you know, in October and November. And you look at the snack and treats was impacted by the supply chain due to that eight-week labor disruption in November and December. And then as well, when you look at the price, the rice price deflated because they decline when it comes mm. to international prices. And by the way, that impact of the industrial action amounted to almost $120 million for the three months to December 2021. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, just Mark, when, when you look at the set of numbers um, on the part of Tiger Brands, I mean, a lot being attributed to the industrial action uh, across this uh, statement that they put out today. Uh, but take that aside just for a second. Let's talk about you know, the supply chain environment that wouldn't necessarily just be unique to them. What impact has that had on their cost base, their ability, you know, to get uh, many of their products um, onto the shelves where we see them and buy them? You are right. You know, the company itself was not immune to the global supply chain squeeze. And as a result, the guys have experienced challenges when it comes to managing the raw material, the ingredients, and including package availability, and also the time of supply, as well as that significant cost increase. And unfortunately, the inability mm-hmm. uh, to pass through the unanticipated cost push resulted in some margin compression in the first quarter. And this is likely to be uh, seen when it comes to the second quarter. Selling prices increases are being implemented. So we hope they'll be able to implement some selling prices uh, increases. And depending that, look at the parade itself. I mean, the guys have lost uh, market share. So for them to regain market share, it means one of the things they have to do, they have to be competitive when it comes to pricing. So I'm not 
too sure when the gas will be successful, you know, in being able to push through those increases in selling prices because they've got serious competition. Mm. And we, we, you know, consumers, I mean, we get to a store, we realize that, uh uh-uh, you are 15 cents more expensive. Remember, other people pay attention to pricing so much so that they can tell you that, no, no, this is 20 cents more than the other one. So I think they will struggle to come to that. And remember, this is a fast uh, moving consumer goods. So you cannot produce tons and tons of stuff and just keep them there because sure. they've got some uh, shelf uh, life and which is normally not mm-hmm. that long. Yeah. Makwe, hold the line there for me for a second. We're going to take a quick spot break. When we come back, uh, I want us to talk uh, inflation numbers and also, I guess, shifting and changing consumer preferences of uh, consumers out in China who. Yeah, it seems that the markets are suggesting are becoming more nationalistic, and we'll unpack what that means after this. 23 minutes it is after 7 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk. It's our wrap of the top business stories, and I'm joined on the line to take a look at the latest in the markets by Markwe Masilela, who's the founder and chief investment officer at Markwe Fund Managers. Markwe, let's take a look at that inflation number, and uh, yeah, uh, down slightly, uh, 5.7% due to uh, slightly softer fuel prices, something that is certainly not going to last with what the Brent crude oil price is doing now. But um, on the food price side of things, it seems what uh, in the Eastern Cape we call a fish oil uh, and vegetables are leading the charge. You know, it's just so unfortunate. And I have to think that, you know, more than 50% of our people they spent more than 50% of their disposable income on food. So it gets to be worrisome because now it tells you that for real, the cost of living for other people continues to be high. And yes, with petrol, as you said, you know, it's something that will change very soon. And it's not something that we have much control over it. But listen, I think we can just celebrate that from 5.9 to 5.7, not too bad because if you look at the likes of the UK, I mean their general inflation increased from 5.5 from from 5.4 sorry to 5.5 remaining at a three-year high, and China general inflation slowed. But the long and short is that when inflation keeps going up, we know the Reserve Bank their target is anything between three and six percent, and so far we've seen that they've started increasing in November then in January, and we know that then when the increase interest rate. It means that me and me, when it comes to our repayments every month, we'll start to be paying more. Then we'll be left with less money to spend on other things in the economy. And we know that for any economy to grow, you need mm. people to spend money. Sure. Now, now I guess, you know, the, the other story here, of course, I mean, we touched on Tiger Brands earlier on, uh, that uh, the expectation is with, you know, minimum income support being guaranteed for the next 12 months or so, that's it to pass through to them. Uh, but that only makes sense or is only worth their while if they can, I guess, contain some of those costs. And it does seem that uh, there's many drivers of this. I mean, I, I was hearing earlier on on one of our sister stations uh, just the, the outcomes on, on uh, crop production. So a lot of us expecting, because the rains have been so bad, that there's a lot of crops that will be spoiled, especially white and yellow maize. And yet it seems, just on the feed cost side of things, that that might not be as bad as was anticipated. Your expectation, Mark, of what that might mean, I guess, for food price inflation and broader inflation in uh, the um, sort of second half of this year? 
I think it will depend on on the guys who are in charge. I mean, if we go to a segment of a product where you are more dominant, it's easy for you, you know, to pass it over to consumers. But where competition is going to be very tough, then it's going to be not that easy for you to pass it over. So you as a company, you just have to absorb that. And yes, for sure, it's going to eat on your margins and your profitability going forward. But yes, it seems that... With the kind of rains that we had, as you just mentioned, you know, they've got their good and their bad. And especially when you look in the inland, most of the crops, unfortunately, they were damaged because of those rains. But if maybe the rain starts to be more decent and they fall in a very decent way, probably then we won't have issues and food security won't be an issue. But the long and short, whatever grants you are getting, whatever salary that you are getting, unfortunately, we're going to have to spend that more when it comes to food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I guess, is the instructive message coming out of this set of numbers. Let's just draw our attention to Asia. And we're going to start off, um, you know, in China. And we'll come back to the story on electric vehicles in India, which I find very interesting. But what do you make of these shifting consumer preferences, Mark, where seemingly out in China? Away from all of the brands, I guess, that are household names without a shadow of a doubt here in South Africa. We know in the past, all of these brands have always wanted to invest in China. It's a massive consumer market. But there was always this affinity also for those brands. I mean, a lot of Asian consumers really were drawn to Adidas, Nike, you know, some of the other brands in terms of food products as well. And it seems that that particular trend is reversing. Definitely. And I think people are saying they are understanding towards national brands has changed. And the political events that they've seen in Hong Kong protests mm. to foreign brand missteps made them feel that they should support their national brands. And well, as well, social media is helping, you know, to make it easier for them to find those local brands that are of good quality and design. I think that's the most important thing, you know, if you want to compete with these international brands, come with something of good quality as well. And you are right, you know, at some point, I mean, the likes of uh, China contributed more than 20% of Nike and Adidas global revenue, and that's roughly doubling in the past decade. But in the most recent quarter, they dropped to just more than a fifth. And I think it's a question of people realize that, listen, we just need to support our own mm-hmm. and China, and we can learn from that. They're not shying away that let's promote what is ours. Look now when it comes to the Olympics, apparently these big brands, they were struggling, you know, to find some local intern, I mean, uh, sports icons to be uh, sponsored by them. Mm-hmm. So because that's a huge market, but it only makes sense. Let's get local guys to start producing quality as well. And sure. I think we're also seeing it back home here, you know. We've got other two brands when it comes to shoes back home here. And we mean they're doing very well because uh-huh. people are happy with the design. People are happy with the quality. And I, that's the only way to go, you know. We just have to think about ourselves as citizens. Mm-hmm. The government just have to be worried about us and give the necessary support to local press. Yeah. And that's the only way, because this whole thing that we are just importing stuff, and then also with us as consumers, because we are wearing something else, we are not wearing international print, mm-hmm. we think it is not nice, good to wear or cheap. That has to stop. It doesn't work like that. Sure. It's more about quality and nice design. You know, Mark, the point you're making on design, on quality, um, and when I say quality, not just of the design, quality of the materials itself, its durability, when it comes, I guess, to apparel, and let's use that as an example just for a second. A big part of that, as we see in China, 
is that you kind of have to live with the learning curve um, at a factory level that comes with that. So initially, in the earlier period, there was always this impression that Indos are say China are much cheaper, they are knockoffs and all of that. Um, and effectively, it does seem the Chinese state here backed its own people and said, look, we will subsidize your learning cost and your learning period. Um, and we, I mean, we see this is not just unique to apparel. You see it with vehicles. You see it with, you know, some of the um, large products that are coming out of, uh, you know, the factory base of China. I mean, drones, um, if, if you're thinking about more complex products as well, where the quality might not have been good initially. But, you know, this idea of having support and really, I guess, having access to a market that big uh, sometimes makes that learning curve even shorter. Definitely, and also to add on that, Aya, remember China, you know, and I think they're still doing it on other industries, it's only on the financial services that mm. are trying to relax it. They're not even allowed to own more than 50% of your company coming from outside world. So it talks to, we want to learn what you're doing, you need to mm. transfer skills here so that tomorrow we can do this without you. And it only makes sense because, as you're saying, China, they know that it's a big market themselves, and it's very easy for us to try to do that, not just in South Africa, but in Africa itself, especially after signing that free trade agreement on the continent. But it is a very huge market. Everyone wants to tap into it. Can we just start talking as one block and make sure that whoever comes here, all well and good, but let's learn what you're doing so that tomorrow we can improve on it or we can do something similar and call it whatever that we need to call it. And as you said, it's more about quality. And those are the skills that people can easily learn, especially with the necessary support from the police makers. Yeah, you know, Marque, I mean, I guess that's that's what is needed in many parts of the world. Uh, And talking about local support, I mean... I don't know what you make of this uh, bargain here between Tesla and the Indian federal authorities. Um, and we'll come back, I guess, to you know, the federal authorities, whether or not they are saying the same thing that the provinces are saying, by way of attracting investment in electric vehicle production from Tesla. Um, a few weeks ago, or I think a few months ago, Elon Musk had come out and said some of the duties on electric vehicles imported into India are some of the highest in the world. They are unnecessarily prohibitive. Um, And it seems, I guess, uh, the BJP government here has dug their heels in and said, look, you know, there's options to you. If you want uh, to get favorable terms, bring semi-assembled vehicles. We'll complete the assembly here and then you get a much better duty or better yet, make sure that some of, uh, if not, you know, um, a main and a significant proportion of your components are coming from Indian industry. What, What do you make of that? I, I think I think the Indian government are so right. Tesla, they want the levies, which they say, as you said, you know, they go as high as hundred percent, you know, to be lowered. Because if I'm no longer getting that money as a government from the levies that I was charging you, what am I getting? Then at least I've got product that I can sell to you, mm. and then you'll help me to grow my economy and my fiscal. If you start spending more when you buy made-from-China components, that's the only thing that you have to do. You need my market, I'm happy to deal with you. Mm. But I'm not just going to run after you, you know, without benefiting. And I think even if they can try to take this to the World Trade Organization, I think, uh, what do you call it, India will be able to win this. Because I don't think we're stopping you from 
accessing our accessing our market. But hey, what is in for us? And Tesla, they need that market, and they've been asked to ramp up the Indian parts purchases by around 10% to 15% a year, and end up putting an amount of at least 500 million US dollars. You know, and then I think the last time I think the guys have managed in August, they claimed that they've spent around 100 million in parts from India. So they just have to make sure that they get to that amount. Though nothing formally has been submitted, nothing has been signed so far because all these reports are coming from other sources which don't mm, want to be named yeah. because it's not yet in the public domain. So. But the principle, I think it's a good principle. Makwe, we here in South Africa, of course, are also, you would know, I mean, um, in a process to try and build out this market of hybrids, electric vehicles. I think there's a hybrid produced here in South Africa, assembled here in South Africa, out in Durban, in the case of Toyota. I think that's uh, the one that is uh, a bit, or I guess quite popular and comes first to mind. Um, I mean, from this experience, what lessons does one draw? Um, yes, you don't have a consumer market of a billion strong people as, as India does, but there's surely some lessons we can learn about how you deal with technological change in a critical manufacturing sector for them, which, of course, is also a critical one for us here at home. Yeah, right. Our market might not be as big as the Indian market, but it's a market that you cannot afford not to service. So definitely they need to send something back home here. And then the little that we can get from them, as much as we are opening up our market, we have to do that. And I think it's a question of we don't have to shy away. We don't have to try to pretend and acting like a big brothers who have made it, who have not made it, who are struggling. People are just complaining about the creation of jobs, that we should be creating those jobs, you know. I mean, an, an unnecessary debate. It shows you that we are in trouble. So whatever that we can do within the legal framework, within the international framework when it comes to the World Trade Organization, by all means, let's do that. Let us not allow these guys to lobby around us and manage to get things here in such a way that we don't mm-hmm. optimize our benefit. Because at the end of the day, we're going to feel the pain. Whether it's going to be after five, ten years, whatever it is, we're going to feel the pain. So let us do what we can do, especially when the guys need us. And it's not a question of trying to play hard, but it's a question of saying, listen, we're going to make X amount. What am I making? Hey, yeah, yeah. Because people shy away from asking that question, that mm. yes, I hear you, what's in for me? And what's in it for this society? Because I think that's the exactly. question. Yeah, what is in it for this society? Which is producing exactly. combustion engines now. What happens to the jobs of all of those people? Exactly. who are making combustion engines, not just for you, but for Tata, for some of the other, you know, uh, auto manufacturers who are present there in India. Remember, technology is all well and good, but technology is not supposed to kill the economy. So uh, if it kills a certain part of an industry, then the other part of the industry should be booming. So those guys they should be able to be transferred now into the electric vehicle manufacturing. They don't have to be laid off. Yeah, Makwe, you know, these are the things we have to talk about, but it's, I guess, interesting as it continues to unfold uh, uh, and uh, some of the developments that come out of uh, uh, many countries out in the East, in the case there of China and India. We're going to have to leave it there for tonight. As always, a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Makwe Masilela, Chief Investment Officer and Founder at Makwe Fund Managers.